This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by listeners like yourself. Some really cool people, such as Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast crew, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Mikey Tabletop, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., and many more have gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to support the show and help keep the lights on around here. I appreciate all of them very much, and you, listener, can be just like them. Once again, that is patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Just a couple bucks a month will get you bonus episodes, voting on games to be covered on the show, and much more. All right, on to the show. Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, one of my co-hosts on a top three podcast and a professional mech pilot, Aaron Engel. Welcome back to the show. Hey, what's up, dude? I'm a professional mech pilot now. <laughs> yes, you always have been, not just now. I just learned how to follow my dreams a little later than everybody else. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We support you following your dreams up into the sky, into the sky. All right. Why am I singing right now? Today, it's, Aaron it's and I, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We have, we're bringing the top three energy to this episode. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about Chained Echoes, which is an RPG developed by Matthias Linda and published by Deck 13 for modern platforms in 2022. This is another one of these games developed by mostly one person. Um, someone else came in to do the music for this game, but this was a solo project. It took a long time. And yeah, uh, if you have never heard of Chained Echoes, Aaron and I have prepared some elevator pitches for everybody. My elevator pitch is... Uh, what if Final Fantasy VI, Suikoden, Chrono Trigger, and many more of the classic JRPGs were given the modern kind of Shovel Knight brush-up treatment? Uh, Aaron, how about you? What's the elevator pitch? I mean, yeah, you basically took it right out of my mouth there, man. Like, I, I was going to say, if any part of you loves that old-school, like, JRPG, Super Nintendo, you know, or early PlayStation-like type feel to your RPGs, this game is is literally right up your alley it's probably the game that you've been looking for and haven't found yet uh if, if any of that if any of what dave said like resonates with you in any way you have to play this video game because and i i, I said this to dave like aside from persona 5 this is the best jrpg i've played you know i mean those two in the, the last 20 years you know I, I i love this game so but you, you hit it right on the head dave if you like games mm -hmm. like that you have to play this game yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll we're definitely going to dive into that stuff. Um the spoiler policy for this episode, this is like a JRPG basically. It's got a story. I think it's got a really good story. So we're going to give you the setup for uh, what's going on in the world and then we're going to leave all that stuff for the spoiler section and the spoiler section is going to be a ton of of uh story talk this time because there's a lot of really interesting stuff that happens. So if you have not played Chained Echoes, don't worry. Uh, you can check down in the show notes for a timestamp for where that spoiler wall is and 
yeah, you can just tap out then. Go play Chained Echoes. It's great. Um, and then come back, listen to the spoiler discussion. So beginning the episode out, Aaron, I know the main reason that you played this game is because I pestered you telling you that you would love it. But other than that, like, what is it that, cause I reckon we recommend games to each other all the time and we very rarely follow through on that. Right. <laughs> We're always just like, yeah, sure. sounds cool, dude. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll for sure. Play yeah. That I'll sometimes. be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what about chained echoes was the thing that made you actually want to fire it up? Well, I mean, it's, and I, I literally say this every time I come on this podcast is like most of the games that I, you know, I'm not like on the active search for everything new and crazy because I, I I don't have a PC. Like maybe if I did, it would be a little bit easier for me to like experiment with that kind of stuff. But with that limited amount, basically, if you tell me, hey, there's this RPG, you would love it. I'll at the very least go on YouTube or go to IGN and uh, read a review or something like that. So that that's what I did when you suggested this to me. Very first thing I did is I went and I watched the trailer and I knew from the, like right right off right off right off rip like okay so the graphics are exactly what I want and the music is exactly what I want. Let me go <laughs> let, let, let me go ahead and listen to a review and and you know I, I trust IGN not all the time but at least I, I feel like in terms of like the games that I like they do a pretty good and concise job of like you know framing the kind of game that you're about to play uh so once i, I you know and it's uh, it goes exactly back to what you said like hey igm was like i mean if you if you like those old school rpgs if you like you know final fantasy three or six or you like you know i never played suika den but chrono trigger you, you know it, you know even remind me of some of those old playstation games like saga frontier and stuff but to answer your question, I'm getting way too excited. I love this game so much. But <laughs> to answer your question, ultimately, I, I just literally went and watched the trailer. And I knew from that trailer, that that two and a half minute thing I watched with a little bit of the battle system, you know, I, I could see the graphics. I could hear the music. I was like, OK, so this might be exactly in line with the kind of game that I'm looking to play right now. So that that's basically to sum it up is it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for me, I... Uh, apparently there was like some hype for a lot of people this game got like some and it was on kickstarter so like people knew that's about what it. i was gonna ask yeah yeah i i didn't know about it so it released and i had no idea i just kind of saw it on the like uh the game pass twitter account post these pictures of like this is what's coming to game pass this week and i saw chained echoes and i was like oh, okay i don't know what that is i'm not gonna play that um <laughs> and then it, it kind of took over a bunch of discord servers that I'm in and took over Twitter and people were constantly talking about it and it's on game pass and I have game pass now. So at the time I had just started up sports story, which a little behind the scenes, this sports story was the game that Aaron and I were supposed to do this episode about. And I started up sports story. I played for about an hour. I was like, this kind of, is kind of boring. I don't really want to play this right now. So I was like, people say Chained Echoes is great. It's on Game Pass. Let me fire it up. And the prologue completely hooked me. And I was like, okay, fuck Sports Story. I'm not playing. I'll play that some other time. I got to play Chained Echoes now. That prologue is so strong. That's, that's a great dude. That prologue is sick because it, it, it does a couple of things. Like it, it, one of the things like I always like to like lament on and stuff like that is like, you know, like what the Super Nintendo was and Chained Echoes is like kind of one of those games where it's like, okay, so what if the Super Nintendo had like 
better technology. I mean, I remember flying, you know, in in the prologue and just seeing the background move and still have you at the forefront, like, you know, in, in like a, like a super clear image. And I was like, holy shit, dude, if I, if this was on the Super Nintendo, I would have fucking nutted as a little kid. <laughs> I, was, right. I was blown Even away. before you were physically able to. Able to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It would have been, it would have been an awakening. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, but you, the, the prologue, it didn't take more than two minutes dude i started walking around in that airship and i was talking to people and i was finding chests and the music was great i was like this is this is such like a uh like i got reminiscent reminiscing you know what i mean i was like this is that feeling that i got when i played final fantasy 3 and it only took like two or three minutes for me to be like i i'm in yeah and to kind of get into some just quick opening thoughts here about chain echoes before we dive in uh dive deep into it um that prologue is a great hook and the the quality continued for the entire game and i i beat this so i beat this game like 3 weeks ago something like 2 weeks ago something like that i've had some time to think about it and i am still confident in saying that this is one of the best jrpgs i've ever played top right. 5 easily yep. top 5 easy not even and thinking about it this is this is not an exaggeration. This game is that good. So it was like inspired by some of my favorite JRPGs like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI. And I think this is of a similar quality, which is crazy to me because those are held up on such a pedestal for so many people. And this game is that good. So we're going to dive into it. But just real quick, like the story is really awesome. It avoids a lot of the the pitfalls and scope problems that JRPGs have. Uh, the combat's really fun. Uh, you have to use your brain during the combat, which is not the case in a lot of our favorite old JRPGs. It, it, it's not. It's not my RPG like strategy ever. I had to change my shit up hardcore yeah. to uh, to get into it. Yeah, and then um, like Aaron said, the the graphics look awesome. The music is great. It is a total package. So. We're going to dive into it. Like we said, like we're going to dive deep into all this stuff. But just at the beginning, this game fucking rules. I have almost nothing but praise for it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, same same here, man. Like, you know, we talked a little bit about this before it started. Like, oh, I don't ha really have anything bad to say about it. The only thing bad I have to say about it is that I wanted more. But that's what <laughs> sequels are for, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. This, um, this took me 37 hours to beat it. And I did a good amount of side content. I did not get close to 100%ing it. There's a lot more stuff I could have done. There's extra bosses and stuff. I didn't fight all of those. So 37 hours for me, Aaron, do you know what your play clock was? Yeah, I think it was like 44 or 45. I did find some ways to grind within the game. And I, I didn't fight all of the optional bosses either, but I did go out of my way to try and get as strong as humanly possible before I took mm -hmm. on the final boss fight. So I, I, I definitely had a, yeah, a work day's worth of extra time than you did, but it's only because I was doing things that you hate, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 like grinding for items. Yeah. Yeah, there is a there is some optional grind in this game. the The main story and stuff like that does not really require that you grind, but there is optional grind if you're a if you're a sicko. So correct. Um, <laughs> we're gonna listen to a little bit of music, and then we're gonna get into the story setup.
So the game begins with your character Glenn uh, waking up in the morning and talking to his mom, very reminiscent of uh, the beginning of Chrono Trigger. But I think this game kind of does something really cool here where it's this is very clearly a reference to Chrono Trigger. And there are lots of references in the game to the games that inspired it. But this game is standing apart from those games too. This is not just like a game full of shitty meta references to other stuff. So in this beginning scene, you wake up, you talk to your mom, your mom just slaps the fuck out of you and says, it's going to get wild soon. Get your ass up. And then that scene fades away and you go into the prologue proper. Let's, let's talk about how much they cursed in this game. (laughs) It's very, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Complete one thing that none of those other games do there are things about this that are better than those classics that we mentioned and one of them is like dialogue wise they curse and it's very funny it's yeah they they do it's not overdone it doesn't seem out of place it just feels like hey some of these characters might you know say shit from time to time and they do so good yeah so um after your mom slaps the shit out of you and wakes you up (laughs) out of your out of your dream um the game actually begins with two characters glenn and killian uh they are mercenaries they are the part of a uh actually i didn't write down the name of their mercenary group bad podcaster uh something about like the iron bull or something like that. it was the iron bull yep okay (laughs) so that was it no that was it All right, cool. So they're leading a mercenary band into battle, and they're trying to go find this weapon called a grimoire. The word grimoire means book, but in this story, that means crystals that were normally put into the cover of the books. And then the crystals just took on the name of grimoires. They're magic crystals, and you are on the task to destroy one. So Glenn and Killian fight their way up through the, um, you know, this, this castle, this battlefield, you fight your way up to the crystal, you pull back your sword, you smash the grimoire, and it causes what's basically a nuclear explosion that wipes out everybody within miles of this place. And that's the hook for the prologue. Yeah, and it and it's and it's it's really really cool because like they they automatically will th- they throw you a couple of characters that you fight with. You get like this lion guy, and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, lion guy in my party yeah. from here <laughs> out. And then you never see or talk to, to him again afterwards. But this is the best part about the prologue is it's it, it's it's literally like ju- the only moment that there's any sort of like you know semblance of peace during the prologue is when you wake up in your bedroom. It's it's literally like from the minute you start the game, they throw you straight into the action dude you have a little mm-hmm. bit of introduction into how the battle system works you get to this thing uh and they're like ah oh, you gotta destroy it that's kind of like your whole purpose of like storming this base or whatever the fuck you're doing and then everything fucking blows up and then it's like boom chain echoes title screen this is your introduction to the game god damn it was so cool dude yeah and like i i know that sounds like a spoiler it's like 45 minutes into the game or less so like we're gonna set this up because it's just this this hook is so strong and you obviously you didn't know that that was gonna happen when you smashed the crystal you thought you were just gonna smash a crystal and then be like well we smashed it good job let's go home (laughs) yeah exactly um mom's making pot roast but we you you cause this giant explosion that kills everybody and this kind of sets off the one of the main quests of the game, which is to try and get this crystal back, uh, figure out why, because Glenn and Killian survived this, you're still controlling Glenn, 
um, in the beginning of chapter one. So why did Glenn and Killian survive this? And how can you prevent this from happening again? Because this is, now we know this is like a weapon of mass destruction. And that's kind of like the main premise for the rest of the story. We have uh, a lot of other characters that join, but the main thing is trying to get a hold of this grimoire, learn about it, find it, prevent it from causing more destruction, all while Glenn is feeling super guilty because he's the one who did this, who caused all of this. Yeah, and it's in in you're you're right, dude. This is basically like Glenn's arc throughout the entire thing. Is like he is constantly struggling with like how much like death and destruction that he like caused doing some, even though it was unintentional and people tell him that throughout it. But like, yeah, this, it's, it's like Dave said, it's basically like a nuclear warhead. That's the kind of like power that it has when it is activated. So it's like, not only do Glenn and Killian like survive and are very, very aware of what this weapon is and like the destructive power that it has, but now, after this explosion, a lot of people are very aware of what this weapon is. And that's kind of how you kickstart the whole, like everybody, every faction in the game, every main character in the game, they know what this weapon is. And all of them have some sort of like ulterior motive to using it for whatever purpose they want. So it's really mm-hmm. cool. Like they, I'm not going to say like, you know, it, it, this game, it, I, I guess it has like a main bad guy, but to me, the con, like it was constantly like you were going up against like a, like, 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 like a, like a, like an antagonist, right? Like yeah, the there's, antagonist there's no, in this, there's no Kefka, there's no yes. Sephiroth in this mm-hmm. game. Yeah. The, the antagonist is, two things it's like the struggle that glenn goes through and one this weapon specifically staying out of the hands of people who you know are antagonists but not main bad guys very cool right right off rip you know exactly the most important thing in this story and it's like it just keeps getting better and better and deeper and deeper it's 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 very very neat yeah and so the story continues as glenn and killian are joined by other characters and we're going to get into one of my favorite just things that I don't know why this is so entertaining to me, but it is. Um, this game doesn't have voice acting, so we're back to the old JRPG style of guessing how to pronounce these character names. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Glenn and Killian are joined by other characters. Uh, one of them is named Len. She's a princess in hiding in the city guard. Aaron, quick check. Len? Lenny? I, sa- I said Len, dude. I thought it was very weird that the main guy and the main girl were Glenn and Len, so yeah, I Glenn assume it's not Len. <laughs> Um, but you know, there's Rob with two B's who is lens guard, like bodyguard. Uh, there's Victor. I guess some of these names are not that hard. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe it's just Len. Um, Victor is an academic, uh, a playwright and a mage of some kind. Sienna, who's a thief. Um, uh, who is a lizard with no arms, not a snake, a lizard with no arms. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a snake. Not, not a snake. Um, <laughs> and, uh, more characters join as you, uh, follow the trail of the grimoire, try to learn more, try to prevent further destruction. Like Aaron said, there's lots of people who are aware of this weapon and they all want it for their own means. So just, uh, some quick thoughts about the story, like, uh, the overall plot I thought was a lot of fun. Um, lots of really high, like climactic moments, a lot of, um, kind of picking yourself up after defeats, lots of peaks and valleys. Um, and I, one thing I want to point out 
is this game was 37 hours for me, over 40 for Aaron. I never felt like this game dragged. I thought it had excellent pacing. Oh, dude. And not only that. So we both played like Inscription as well. And like as you're playing through that game, there are like just these like, wait, what moments? Like as you're going through it, like Chain Mm -hmm. Echoes for being like this standard, like because it is it's a standard ass JRPG. It follows all of the tropes that these that these kinds of games do. But every once in a while, like through like some story, whatever, like it'll hit you with something you're like, wait what and then everything changes so like you're still on like this basic fundamental level of doing what your party members want and trying to follow that but there are constantly things going on that are outside of your control that they sort of like bring into the story slowly there are multiple times that you know where me and dave were talking and dave would say something like man dude i just got to this point i'm not going to spoil it for you but i didn't think it was going to be this kind of game it's it's because the what they do with the stories they, they're constantly throwing you know like wild card like scenarios at you and introducing things where you're just like yo this is way 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 bigger than i thought it was going to be or this is going in a direction that i did not see coming in any way and they do that like six or seven times throughout the story (laughs) it's very cool i love those okay i'm i'm comfortable i think i know what i'm doing i think i get this game and then like a story arc is introduced where you're like Okay, now everything I'm doing is 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 different. The, the, this is the actual thing that's going on here. So without spoiling, you know, anything, the game hits you with these what the fuck moments like every once in a while where you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, this got real real. Yeah, like those those moments where you're playing and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was this kind of game or this kind of story. And the thing that I like about this game is that when it does hit you with those things, they never, they're a surprise from like a story perspective, but they're not like out of nowhere at the last minute, which is something that I hate about a lot of JRPG stories is that, you know, you get to the end of, you know, JRPG X that I don't want to spoil the ending to, but some that we've already mentioned in this podcast uh, today, where they're like, you beat the final boss, good job. You're going to fight God now. Uh, because you have to. Because <laughs> he's mad. Yeah, because God thinks humans are puny and God's been watching this whole time, even though you didn't know that. Um, this game does have some like increases in scope, and it's not just a story about you know people trying to get a weapon, but all of those things are set up really well. And so when it does happen, it's not this out of left field shock that doesn't make any sense. It all makes tons and tons of sense in this story it's just really well thought out yeah it's not it's not too much like you know there's you know there was never like you know even though they do sort of introduce like that ethereal aspect to it like kind of towards the end it never felt like forced upon me it felt like that was the natural progression because like you said the pacing with the story is so brilliant that like when they hit you with things like that you're never caught off guard in a bad way you're always like "Yeah, yeah yeah that 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 whoa what the fuck but okay that makes sense let's fucking ride yeah and then the stuff that's on like the lower scope like with just the characters we talked about trying to find the grimoire there are like huge story twists and like you know triumphs and tragedies and stuff along the way too and the fact that the pacing is so good means that these are happening fairly regularly in a new like Anytime you feel like a storyline or a plot thread is starting to drag, something else big is introduced to keep pulling you along. And so, like I said, 
37 hours for me, never once felt bored by the story, never once felt bored by the characters or side quests or anything like that. It is, um, it's a triumph as far as that is concerned. Correct. Correct. 100% dude. The characters we kind of brought up, Len, Rob, Victor, Sienna, Bathraz, there's a couple others. Um, Amalia is a character you find later, part of your main quest. And then there's some optional characters too. Um, I thought the the characters were also really cool and they had really fun backstories. Some of them are explored within the main quest. Some of them you need to do side quests to find out. But I did think that they were all interesting uh, from the very least. And that's not even to talk about like their role in combat and stuff. Yeah, they they were cool. And like, like we can take somebody like uh, like Magnolia, for example, who I, I, I never my, my biggest problem was I, I liked all the characters so much that I wanted to use them in battle. Uh, and you have the option to use up to eight characters or something like that. But I could still only bring myself to use like maybe like six of them. But Magnolia, for example, you have a multiple you have like two or three side quests in the game that are brilliantly crafted that you have to do in order to get this woman in your party. And they're, they're, they're awesome. She, she's like a, she's like a witch and I got her on my party after doing all these side quests. And I was just like, hell yeah. I finally got this witch with purple hair. That could, <laughs> that's like a fairy. Hell yeah. Ready, <laughs> ready, ready to fucking roll. This is my main chick. And I fought with her for like four battles and I'm like, ah, this just isn't really fitting in with what I do. But another thing that they do a really good job of, and they do this in uh, Chrono Trigger in Final Fantasy VI as well, is like even if you don't use those characters, they're always going to be in the story. Like all the main story points, they they kind of like switch perspectives. So like sometimes when a story thing is happening, your main characters aren't there. It's like two of your side characters. So they do a really good job of like at least like keeping them in frame so that you don't feel like they're going to waste after, you know, all the effort and all the cool shit that you put into getting them. They still feel like, mm-hmm. okay, these people are around and they're cool and they're, they're a part of what's going on here. I, you know, uh, I, I loved this cast of characters, dude. I, I think only rivaled by like maybe Final Fantasy VII in terms of like how much I liked all of the characters. Uh, that were in my party so yeah v- very very cool they they do a really good job of like and even though they give you probably too many you know and and now i'm like old so if like i'm fighting one way for 24 hours i'm probably not going to change it up but mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's still really cool having like those sorts of options all of the characters that you have to choose from are, are very cool and they all have their own style that you can fight with so i i, I love that about this game one of the best parts about this game yeah it it, re- it reminds me of chrono trigger how at least the main cast is relatively small. Like one of the main things that I don't think is so great about Final Fantasy VI, even though I love that game, is it has too many characters and a lot of them are just kind of there. They don't Correct. they don't matter. In this game, you get optional characters if you choose to do a bunch of side quests, but the one the core ones that are in your party, they all matter in some way. And like you said, they they do give you time to spend with all of them. So let's say like Rob is probably like the least favorite character in the group. He's kind of a dick to everybody for the first at least half of the game. But even if you were tempted to just like put him on the bench and not use him, the story gives you some of those Final Fantasy VI moments where your party gets broken up. And so you have to, it's like Rob and two other characters working through a dungeon together and you get to spend time with everybody that way. And it's really effective for making them all feel included. It's um, it's real nice. 
Yeah, and, and another thing I, I know we may not or we may talk about it, but like as you level up, everybody levels up. You don't you don't yeah. have to have characters like in your party in order to level them up. So if you do want to just switch it up just for you know whatever's sake, like you can and they'll still be at the same level as everybody else. You don't have to go back and like grind them up to the point like you do in a, a lot of JRPGs if if you want to. Yeah, and that's a we can just talk about all the quality of life stuff that kind of modern stuff, modern quality of life that's been added into this game. So like you said, everyone gets experience regardless of whether they fought in a battle, whether they died in the battle or not. That's another thing like a lot of old Final Fantasy games. If somebody is dead when a battle is over, they don't get experience, which sucks. Not in this game. Uh, Your party fully heals after every battle, which allows you to just go. I love that. I love that just allows you to fully like go wild during battles, use all your skills. Don't worry about running out of magic or whatever, because it gets healed after the battle's over. You can run from any battle, uh, guaranteed, even like mini bosses and stuff. You can run and just kind of set up again and restart. Um, if you lose a battle, you don't get sent back to a save point or something like that. You get a menu option that says uh, retry the battle. And if you say yes, you get to go to the menu first and kind of tweak skills, items, party formation, whatever, and then try the battle again. Or you can go back to the checkpoint. It's your choice. And then there are some smaller touches, like uh, when you select a healing spell, the cursor will automatically highlight the person with the lowest health. So it's very hard to use a spell on someone who doesn't need it. Same with um, if you're trying to revive somebody in combat. And uh, the last thing is that your character on the overworld runs really fast and you can just speed through the levels if you know where you're going. And all of these things together, like the fact that these things are in this game doesn't make it better than some of the older games. But the fact that this is these quality of life things are in the game on top of the established quality of the combat and of the story it's it's just like it's the cherry on top kind of it's the uh it's the buttercream icing if you will i will <laughs> uh, but no this is a you, you literally said everything that i was going to say all of those quality of life things but the the reason that they're like as important to me now uh you know i'm playing like through persona 4 right now and it doesn't have half of those things and like so if you're new to that kind of genre you know they kind of streamline that process for you so that you don't have to feel like you're constantly going through menus all the time which is a which you do but uh you know they kind of take that part out of it and also for people that are like older like me with a full-time job and like you know like all those little things healing after battle all all that shit like eventually adds up to an extra six seven hours of gameplay so that's what i actually like appreciate the most about all these quality of life improvements is like you can tell like when they made the game they're like okay how do we make you know not make the game easy but like one make it accessible to people that are new to the genre and two don't make people who feel like they don't have a ton of time to play video games feel like they're wasting their time doing other stuff but the best point that you made uh was that with these things the most important you know you know aspect of it is like in battle you can do whatever you want you don't have to worry about running out of stuff you definitely have items and stuff that you have to use throughout it but that's the most important thing is every battle you're going in completely fresh. You don't have to worry about running out of MP for the most part or not having the items to like, you know, get go to a boss fight, you know, and 
you know, while we're, while we're talking about it, they have these ultimate moves that you can do every battle. You have like an ultimate bar. Uh, mm-hmm. And every time you go in, it's basically like a, uh, like what limit breaks were in final fantasy seven. It's just, everybody has their own like specific ultimate attack. When you go into a boss battle, you automatically get that attack from the beginning every single time. Normally you have to kind of like build it up over the course of a couple of like regular battles. But another cool quality of life thing is like, okay, you're hitting a boss, you, which, and the boss fights are kind of difficult in this game. You automatically have that, you know, up your sleeve right away. It's actually very cool and like super useful in clutch sometimes. Yeah. It's a nice touch to have that bar fully charged up at the beginning of a boss fight And then, you know, as the boss fight goes along, if it goes on long enough, you'll charge up another one. It's usually, like you said, super clutch when it's ready uh, to use. So uh, this is a good time to just listen to a little bit of combat music, come back and talk about the combat. So in Chained Echoes, we're doing turn-based combat, Uh, traditional turn-based, not ATB like some of the old Final Fantasies and Chrono Trigger, straight up turn-based combat. Um, You can see the turn order, which is good. You can't really manipulate the turn order, but you can see it. So you can definitely strategize, you know, which enemy do I want to try and take out before their attack this turn or something like that. Um, You have attack, skill, item, and defend. And unlike a lot of JRPGs, you are almost, at least my experience, never going to use your attack skill. You're always using your skills. And so those are the name of the game. Should we talk about the 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 bar at the top of the screen? What what was that called? Oh, we should, oh, yeah, we should talk yeah. about we should talk about that because I do feel like defending and attacking is useful if you're looking at it from like yeah. okay, I have this bar that I'm also battling. So if you want to explain right. that, I, I think that opens you know at least this part up a little bit. Right. So what Aaron's talking about there is there's a bar at the top of the screen called the overdrive bar, and as you do things in battle. Uh, your position on this bar moves um, mostly as you use skills, because like I said, your skills are always better than your regular attack as far as damage or buffs or healing or whatever. As you use skills, the position on the bar moves to the right and the bar itself has like a gray zone at the beginning or yellow. I can't remember. It's yellow at the beginning uh, where nothing is happening. But as you move to the right, you enter this green zone And while you're in the green, your attacks are stronger, your skills use fewer, I think they're called ability points in this game, magic, think of it as magic, Um, while you're in that. But as you keep playing the battle, you continue to move to the right. And at the end of the bar is a red zone where you're in like overheat mode. And when you're in overheat mode, you take extra damage and your skills cost more to use. So it's this balancing act of... I want to use the best skills, but I need to stay in the green zone for as much as possible, especially in boss fights. 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like, dude, there there was times when I was like being lazy, and I would just like go all the way to the end of the red because I knew no matter what happened, I'm going to be completely healed when I get out of this battle and I'll win no matter what. But if you are going to die in this game, it is going to be because you did not manage that bar properly. So Dave talked about never using attacks. One thing that attacks like do do is okay. So your skills move your position on that bar farther than anything else right so the more skills you use the faster it's going to take you to get into that red area that is is bad uh, a regular attack will still do like a little bit of damage but it it barely it barely moves that bar so you can still get something out of it same thing like if you if you use an item it barely moves that bar a little bit if you're trying your best to like okay so i have a move right here i want to do something um, but I'm, I'm so close to the overdrive and I have Sienna behind me ready to make somebody bleed to death and I need her for that skill. I'll just attack right here. And the defend option actually makes your uh, position on the bar go backwards. So right. if you, if, if you defend, it'll give you a little extra cushion before you go into uh, the overdrive is I believe, but it, yeah, you go into overdrive. So while attacking is way less uh, prevalent in this game than it is in every other, you know, uh, JRPG ever made, there, there, there are going to be specific uses for it because this game is not about, at least the battle system for me, is not about using all your best skills and trying to fuck this thing up and healing and all. What this game's battle system is about is that overdrive bar at the top. If you cannot figure out a way to, like, manipulate it, like, in your favor, you are going to die. 100 percent so yeah you know so there 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 are uses for those other things um but for the most part Dave, dave's right a attacking is essentially useless yeah so there are a couple ways to move the cursor backwards on the bar if you feel like like if you actually are in the red or if you feel like you're getting a little bit close so like aaron said defending is one way to move it back uh, another way is throughout the battle, some of your skills will be highlighted in yellow, and that means if you use that skill that turn, it will move the overdrive cursor backwards. So sometimes it's really clutch when it turns out that the skill you want to use is also highlighted <laughs> in yellow. Ooh, Great, ooh, that makes me that makes me sweaty, dude. That was, where you're just <laughs> like, oh no, this is about to go so so bad, and then it's like, no, don't worry, the skill that's going to heal everybody is also going to push the overdrive bar back, and you're like, ah, fuck yes, thank yeah. God. There's also some others. There's some special skills that specifically move the drive, the overdrive cursor backwards. There's some items that do that too. But uh, I let me ask you that question. Yeah. Did you get no, what? Did, okay, so you didn't use those items either. Like I, I never either. found any. I, I think you, I found no, like you, one or two. No, you didn't. You had a hundred of them in your inventory. I promise. Did I? Yeah. Oh yeah. Did I just not everywhere. read? Well, what it does is it's like, okay, so like on your overdrive bar, it has a little symbol at the very end. And if you use the item that corresponds to that symbol, it'll knock your uh, overdrive bar back a little okay. bit. But they don't tell you what symbol matches the item. I have no, those symbols would come up and I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I'll use this item right here. It's like, oh, that wasn't the right item. And now you're an overdrive, you fucking idiot. So I was like, I'm not going to look this up. Like, I'm just never going to use those items yeah. and see if I can get away with it. So just uh, everyone keep in mind that Aaron and I both beat this game without really doing that. It's totally possible to manage the overdrive like skillfully and effectively just by using skills, defending sometimes um, against the regular enemies in the game. So like earlier, Aaron said, if you don't manage this, then you're going to get killed. And 
that is true against a lot of enemies in the game, especially um, group fights when you're fighting against lots of enemies because the drive cursor also moves to the right when enemies act. So if you're fighting five enemies, it's going to move up a lot quicker and you're going to have to really manage that bar. So against those, I found the battle system to be really challenging. And then against boss fights, just because boss fights last a lot longer. So you're naturally going to be going up against that overheat section of the bar. Uh, So boss fights are typically less of a, they all have like a strategy to them, but the strategy is not super difficult by itself. It's more of the combination of how do I beat this boss and how do I manage my overdrive because boss fights last significantly longer. Yeah, and I'll say, dude, like that, I I didn't have a problem with. I would say most of the boss fights in the game. There are a couple that were fucking really hard. Uh, yeah. But the to me, and it's like what you said earlier. The most annoying fights in the game are when you roll into a fight and you're like, oh, I'm gonna fight two bunnies, and then like seven of them show up at once, and you're like, how? Because there there aren't there there aren't anything like summons in Final Fantasy where you can just like you have a move where you can wipe out everybody at one time all of your skills in the game that would attack all people at once even your ultimate moves will never kill all of them at once on the very first try so it's almost like you have to peg one enemy out and just focus everything on them and then do that six times in a row it's the only it's literally the only way to win those battles so i actually had a lot more trouble with those fights because it when you're going, it's like you said, when, when they attack you too, your bar is going up and when six or seven of them are attacking you at the same time, oh, and all of a sudden none of my skills are yellow. This is getting bad. I can't defend my way to death. Those are the battles to me that I was like, okay, so this is, this is like a battle of like, a. I don't know the word I'm trying to look for, but it, it, you got you have to be patient when you're playing yeah. this game. You can't do what I like to do, which is kill everything as fast as possible and grind my way to a level where nothing can touch me. You you have to be patient and smart. It's the only way you'll survive. Yeah, and uh, the actually those ultimate moves, like you talked about before, those also lower your overdrive uh, cursor. So those often come up, and it's it's all it's often a like. I want to wait for the right character to have the skill I want to use like this ultimate move because they are party specific. It's, it's your party's bar. It's not each character has one like in um, final fantasy seven or something like that. So you often, you want to wait because like, Oh, this character's like ultimate attack heals the entire party and gives them regen or something like that. I want to wait for them, but I'm in the red in overdrive right now. If I just use that with somebody else, I will get uh, back into the green and whatever their ultimate attack does, that'll probably be useful too. There's a lot of strategy to it. And so like Aaron, you, you touched on this. You have to think in this combat system. It's not like this isn't like a fucking darkest dungeon or XCOM or it's not like that difficult, but you do have to be engaged in almost every fight. And I really, really appreciated how it needed my input and my brain power to especially beat boss fights, but regular enemies too throughout the game without being like ball crushingly difficult. It's a really nice balance, I think. Oh, no, no, it's it's awesome. And uh, another thing I touched on is like, 
you know, earlier is like, there, there is no real combat grinding. The only way you can level up in this game is by beating a boss. You get some, you get like an item after you beat a boss that allows everybody in your party to level up. You can't just run around and kill enemies and gain experience and stuff like that. Uh, but they, they they do find that really good balance because like every part of me when I first started playing that game is like oh god this battle system is gonna be so annoying I'm I'm never gonna be patient enough to do this stuff but with those quality of life things that we said earlier there's definitely room for like experimentation as you are learning the battle system so you it's it, Dave's right it's not it's not darkest dungeon uh, it's definitely not that kind of game but it, it is something that we're like okay, like if you accidentally press this one button and you had a plan in mind and you press the wrong button and that plan goes out the window, okay, now shit can get wrong. Like now shit can go horribly wrong. You mm-hmm. you do have to be like pretty careful as you're doing these things, now, especially when you're battling all the time in a JRPG, like eventually gets to a point where like your mind's numb and you don't really care and you're a little bored because you've just been doing all this fighting and you, you're not really thinking about it. You let your hand slip or blah 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 now you're in trouble you do have to constantly be like you know completely aware of the decisions that you're making yeah and speaking of decisions like the strategy goes further than just choosing you know skills that do a lot of damage or managing the overdrive because i found that most battles in this game especially boss fights again required the use of buffs and debuffs and elemental weaknesses and status effects and all of those things are you know one of those things that i'm like especially final fantasy huge offender in this like most of the final fantasy series is where they're like we're gonna give you poison spells and paralyzed spells and slow spells and all of those things (laughs) but they'll never work (laughs) they'll never work Uh, so good luck using bio against the final boss you piece of shit in this game all status effects work against everything, bosses included. And so it's it's something I praise Darkest Dungeon for. You can use Paralyze and Poison on the final boss and bleed, and you have to in this game, I think. It's a big part of the strategy, and it makes characters that seem useless early in the game, like Rob, uh, turn uh, Rob into a staple a in my party because he gangster. uses Poison, he can paralyze people, and... He can heal ailments. Yeah, and it sets up synergies with other characters too because uh, let's say Rob can use a paralyze um, effect on enemies. He can paralyze them. Sienna has a skill that does like three times damage to paralyzed enemies and you can set up these synergies between your characters and it just keeps going deeper and deeper and it's like so much deeper than you might think it goes and much deeper than a lot of the games that inspired it to be honest and it's super like mechanically satisfying yeah and uh y- you know like and this is the thing is like you know i don't I-, I don't want what dave said to make it sound like oh like you can just buff and, and you know and you'll be fine like all of the like most people that you're fighting most enemies that you're fighting whether it's bosses or it's like low level enemies they're doing the same thing they are de- they are trying to debuff the shit out of you the entire time and they are also trying to buff themselves that's kind of what turns the tide um but like len has this move called cleanse which i I think it's just the most clutch fucking move in the entire game where she can just mm-hmm. use the move and it completely takes away every single buff. This is why Len was in my party the entire time. It's like you go into a boss battle and they would use some to it's like, oh, all of their attacks and defense is is all the way up now and you can't get to their weakness. <laughs> 
and you're just like, how the fuck? And then you just use Len's uh, cleanse move one time, and they're all gone, boom, right back into the battle. So it, right. it, it's not like you're all, you know, buffing and debuffing the whole time. The enemy is also trying to do that to you as well. And again, goes against every fiber of my like RPG, you know, gaming concept, uh, which is I don't want to be smart. I want to hit people in the head with a hammer and then go on to the next town. (laughs) It's it's literally like they're every single battle. And, you know, you obviously get used to it and stuff like that. You become very aware of like, you know, your party and what they can do. But you're constantly running into enemies that are doing different things to try and fuck you up. And that's why Rob's great, dude. That Rob Sienna thing, like, I didn't have Rob in my main party, but if I really, really wanted to fuck with somebody, I would do that. Or, like, Glenn has a move where he can cover somebody in oil, and then you do that, and then Len has a move that is fire, and fire, you know, is, you know, made bigger uh, when you cover somebody in oil. And Len would just fucking murder people that were covered in oil. <laughs> like, there there are, like Dave said, synergies between certain characters where you can make your party, like, OP as fuck. Yeah. And you you don't always have to spend every turn of every battle setting up synergies, but I definitely like I want to paralyze enemies because it takes away a turn from them. And then while they're paralyzed, Sienna's in, you might as well use that skill that does three times damage. And then once the para- once the paralysis wears off, you adjust, you do something different. Um the with the buffs and debuffs too, I found that like the ultimate attacks, my strategy with those was altered as well because, for example, Killian has an ultimate attack that uh, the animations for these are hilarious. I love them. Um, he has an ultimate attack where he shoves his sword into the ground and then a giant sword comes out and like uproots a mountain and it just does damage to everybody. But that turned out to be one of the least useful ultimate attacks because Glenn has one where he builds a robot and the robot attacks the enemy and it puts like every debuff on them for like five turns. And so you start boss fights with a full ultimate bar and I would just start boss fights with that and start out with the upper hand. And it was so useful. I'm going to be honest with you, dude. There were only like, like I only used three ultimate moves. Like seriously, it was Glenn's to start off because Glenn's is by far the best. It's not even close. Uh, I liked Sienna's just because of the way that it looked, but also how much damage it did. And then, which, by the way, agility is the most important thing in this game. But Sienna's does a lot of damage, and then it boosts her critical and her agility. And then Amalia's, which completely revives and heals everybody all at one time. I, I love the animations for these things. It's exactly what you would imagine like a uh, like a summon or a limit break in a Final Fantasy game looking like. Um, but I, I found most of them to just be like pretty, pretty useless, uh, aside from like those victors was okay. But, uh, aside from like those three or four, I, I, I mean, dude, I rarely used ult- an ultimate move that wasn't Glenn's Glenn's yeah. was by far the best. And I would always save it for him. Glenn's is the best. It, it's really just like the ones that seem like they would be the best right off the top. The ones that do damage to all enemies are rarely the best because buffs and healing and restoring your magic and stuff like that is more important than just doing correct like a, a, an attack that's twice as effective as a regular one. Um, getting those buffs, getting fully healed, especially in boss fights, is so important. So there's a lot of layers to this uh, combat, and I found myself like with this regular combat where you're on foot. 
Um, I found myself really challenged all the way through the game, but rarely to a level that I could not rise up and meet if I just figure like, it out. Yeah. If I just like kind of reevaluated my strategy, if I died against a boss once, I would think about it a little bit and beat them the next try. I never, I think the most I ever died against anything in this game was twice. And that was the final boss. Oh, dude, I absolutely crushed the final boss. Not the, but... not the final boss, the penultimate boss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that shit was hard. I also didn't die on him because uh, on that because I'm really, really good. But there were <laughs> multiple regular enemies that would yeah. ruin my day. <laughs> and the I kind of mentioned there that you're fighting on foot for a lot of this because there are sections in the combat where you're fighting in these mechs. They call them sky armors in the game and the mech combat, the sky armor combat is similar to what you're doing in the on foot combat using the overdrive bar, except it's a little bit different. You have these, um, you have a red section on both sides of the green part of the overdrive bar. And you have a way to move your cursor right or left. Uh, you can go into what they call these gears, gear zero, gear one, gear two, um, gear one moves the cursor to the right. Your attacks are normal strength. They use normal MP, AP in this game. Uh, gear two, your cursor moves to the left. Your attacks are more powerful, but they use more AP. Gear zero, the cursor does not move, but you can't use your skills and it recharges your AP. So the, the sky armor combat was more of like, a delicate balancing act that I found more difficult. Like I died in sky armor combat way more often than on foot combat. Same, same, same. And I I don't want to gloss over this dude. The sky armor combat is one of the reasons that I love this game so much. Like I really liked, uh, not only one switching between like two different battle styles, but just fight fighting things in sky armor and how, you know, being able to like customize your, customize your, your, your sky armor, uh, to do different. (laughs) I mean, that, that to me was like my favorite part of like the end game stuff is it. I, I loved flying around in sky armor. I liked hitting stuff in my sky armor with a sword. I, you know, I, I, I really can't, like you know really explain how cool this shit is it it is definitely something that you have to do but it is the one thing that i think separates it from a lot of other rpgs is like they do like completely force you to fight a different kind of fight basically from the halfway point of the game on you're constantly switching between the two i I loved the sky armor stuff you're right it's definitely way more of a balancing act and it does take a little while to get used to which is why you die so frequently but once you get like get the hang of like how it works you are you are an unstoppable force dude it's it's so awesome it's it's just more managing the overdrive bar and more managing a running out of ap uh, for skills in the sky armor stuff so i found myself if i ever got careless in the sky armor combat i would find myself like really like with backed up against a wall basically or just like getting wiped entirely because i took an entire turn not really thinking too hard or like thinking like I'm going to be able to end this battle this turn and then I didn't and the enemies just totally fucked me up on their turn so it was it was harder but like I did like how it shook up the combat um playing as the sky armors out on the overworld also allows you can fly so you don't have to worry about like 
finding a ladder to reach a higher cliff or you can just fly up there so it made like cleaning up items and chests on the overworld um easier and yeah you go from fighting like pigs and little dudes like knights and stuff while you're on foot to fighting like giant ogres and other mechs and stuff in the sky armor combat so it's it's nice yeah and those it, it's always funny when you run into something that is clearly a sky armor battle but you're still on <laughs> foot and you just get yeah. apt so like let, let it be known like nobody can beat this game without sky armor you will and i'm not even talking about oh, the yeah. story stuff you could run into a random sky armor enemy in the first level later on on accident and it will fuck your life up if you are (laughs) like those things are strong as shit but it's also funny running into like lower tier enemies in your sky armor and you just fucking waste them all in one hit you you do still get that satisfaction in this game like through that vet but yeah dude the sky armor stuff was i to me this is what separate you know maybe not saying that this game is better or any better or worse than something else but the one thing that i'm like okay so what does separate this game from those classics the sky armor battling and the management of the overdrive bar are two things that i love uh that absolutely separate it from everything else yeah it's just that like so many jrpgs have stories and characters that i really like but they're not mechanically interesting to me. Like a couple months ago, I had an episode about Final Fantasy IX. I love the story. I love the characters. I am not interested by the combat system in that game. It's just, I mean, it's not bad, but it's certainly not that fun. This game has both. It has a story that is great, characters that I love, and a very mechanically fun combat system, which is why it's shot up the rankings so high as it did. Yeah, and we talked about that in the uh, when we uh, in our uh, Persona Five podcast. How like if you want to do like a JRPG like anymore, and and you know not not only have it have like a lot of people who like want to play it, but also make it awesome. You have to have those little quality of life. You have to make the combat fun because you know as much as I like grinding and doing that whole thing, a lot of people don't like you. If, if you're going to be battling a lot, you have to have like some sort of engagement. You have to keep people interested all the time. And they do a really good job of that with like, you know, switching the kinds of enemies that you're fighting. Like when you go into a place, like you're not just fighting like the same, like two or three kinds of enemies the entire time. They're constantly throwing new strategies and stuff at you uh, as well. But like that, it, it's like Persona 5 in that where it takes that like JRPG, like standard turn-based battle system and actually like makes it really fun and 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 engaging to where like you never feel like ah god another fight you know unless you're like trying to get somewhere because you forgot something earlier yeah another uh, quality of life thing that you just reminded me of is you can speed up the animations uh, of the combat so once i figure that out i played at the fastest animation speed it doesn't again you can what you can you can make it faster oh my god what it's um since this isn't ATB, so like speeding up and like sitting there is not going to hurt you at all. It's like true turn-based. You can just speed up the speed of your animations so that it doesn't last as long. Um, so once I figured that out, I sped it up and yeah, got on my merry way. It's, it's just um, <laughs> Damn, talking what? about um, talking about Persona reminded me because uh, that combat system is so snappy and quick and speeding up the animations on this one turned it into a another snappy and quick uh combat even though you know if i did have to nitpick anything about the combat it's that 
even your enemies against a couple of bats or something like that, combats against a couple of bats, still last a little bit longer than I would want them to, but speeding up the animation speed made it not really matter as much as it would have. And then <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you found that, Dave. I'm not <laughs> mad at all that I didn't. Thank you. Thank that you, out. buddy. I'm I'm happy you're happy for me being happy. Yeah, no, uh in 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 again going going back to that whole thing, like you you gotta if you're gonna do a JRPG, the battles have to be fast or making you constantly like think on your feet and if they don't do that like you know i played tactics so the tactics ogre remake a few months ago i'd stop playing it because it was just the battle system was just so repetitive and boring and i was like 20 hours into it and i looked up it's like people on average play this game for 80 hours i'm like dude i cannot do that <laughs> the same battle over and over again for 80 hours so just a, a another layer on the cake of like you know why this game is so great is because most of the time at least for me anyways, and even as a grinding sicko, like battles get bored, like it gets boring and repetitive and, 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 and dull. And you eventually find yourself in an RPG where you're just like, all right, I just, I'm just going to go ahead and beat this game right now before I end up fucking hating it. Never felt that way during this game. Right. Yep. Couldn't agree more. So last things to kind of clean up before we get into spoiler talk about the story. Um, there is a lot of RPG customization stuff going on. Um, the way that you kit out your party and uh, set up your skills and stuff. So just to briefly touch on that, uh, there's a lot of classic JRPG stuff like buying equipment. Every new town you go buy equipment uh, or every new merchant you find, you you rarely need to go into a store in a town. But you'll find merchants to get you new stuff. Like Aaron said, there are no level ups. You Instead, you get these things called grimoire shards by beating bosses or getting to key story moments or beating side quests. That gives you points to unlock new skills. And then once you have skills, you can only equip a certain number. I think it's eight. And so you're going to learn way more than eight skills. So deciding which skills you want to use for your characters is also part of your strategy. So I personally was satisfied with just this amount of customization. And there's more that we'll talk about, but this is kind of like the base level. Yeah. And, and as I alluded to earlier, the only thing that the game, the, the only real complaint I have with the game is that I thought it could have been more, you know, I, I, I thought you could have put, or he could have put like more stuff into this game. And I, I, I think the, the cut, like, you know, more customizations would make it better. But all of these things I feel like are like reserved for a sequel because the sequel's got to be bigger, better and faster with hotter women and bigger explosions and things <laughs> like that. So like, you know, that, that feeling of like wanting more of the game is never bad. If I'm like almost, I've almost completely convinced myself that there will be 
a sequel to it. So I, 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 I'm, I'm fine with the amount of customization. It's not like the biggest, most important thing in the game, but I, I, I would like more of, of, of that. But I, I, I think that's exactly what the it lends itself to have a sequel. If that makes any sense. Well, there is more customization. There's actually a lot more, and I just kind of like stopped here because this is the stuff that I engaged with all the time. You know trying to choose the right skills and stuff like that. There's more. There's a job system with these emblems that you can equip. Um, I did not find enough of these. You find them through like exploring in the world, and there's an item you have to use to unlock a new job, basically. And I didn't find enough of those items or the places to unlock new jobs to give everyone in my party a job. So this felt a little bit half-baked in my experience, I felt like I explored quite a bit. I just found, you know, I had like 13 characters or eight, you know, eight active characters. And I found maybe five jobs. So this is, and you know, I don't want to bring this up in case you're planning on talking about it later. There's a, uh, there's a reward board that you have throughout the game. And basically every time you enter an area, you can get different rewards for completing different tasks within each area. Uh, And they're all chained together. So one of the goals that you have in the game is that you want to chain these things together because they give you stuff for your party. The reason you didn't find enough of those, I think they're called sacred waters that unlock these uh, little towers where you get new class emblems is because about, I, I would say, I think it's either half or a little more than half of those. You can only get by completing bigger and bigger chains oh, on that quest yeah. board. And that's, that's why I didn't even try. Cause I was like, man, I, I cannot go through, you know, each level individually and, you know, kill three of those things or find all of the, you know, secret buried treasures and stuff. So once I realized that I had found every one of those sacred tiers that I, I could use without completing that reward board, I was like, you know what? Five or six is enough. I, th- I think I can still beat the game, you know, with, you know, not all of my characters having these uh, class emblems, even though they make everybody significantly stronger and give you really, really good skills. I, I just didn't have it in me to complete the, to like complete that reward board. It, that would have been so taxing and exhausting. Yeah, so I, I did get several of those from the reward board and some um, grimoire shards too. The thing was, you have to find these statues around the world to give you new skills. And I found like three more sacred waters than I did statues. And kind of like you said... I was getting toward the end of the game. I wasn't having trouble with the combat, really. I never felt like I needed to do this, so I didn't, because that's just kind of how I play games like this. I'm I'm never a 100% player, so I didn't do that. The other um, kind of customization thing that I, again, this is like a, a very specific nitpick of one system, but there are these crystals that you pick up throughout the game that you can slot into your weapons and your armor and you can let the game like optimize them for you you have to like combine one crystal with another crystal and then put it into your weapon and then when you find a new weapon you have to take it out of the old weapon and put it in the new one and that whole system felt like just one thing too many so i didn't do i like just straight up was like computer optimize this i'm not engaging with this really I don't really care what the bonuses are. They never felt like make or break, basically. So I was just fine being like, oh, 10% extra damage. Cool. I'll just take that, you know? 
dude, it, you switch weapons and armor so frequently in the game that, it, and and when you pull a one of these crystals out of your weapon, old weapon or armor before you put it on a new one, it makes that crystal worse. So yeah. like, I, I eventually realized that, and I was just like, I'm not gonna fuck with any of these. And then when I know I'm at the end of the game, or I know I have the last weapon or piece of armor that I'm going to have, that's when I would just, I, I was just like, I'm just gonna max everybody's shit out. Like, I agree with you. I didn't feel like they made like a huge, huge difference, but some of the crystals, like oh, you have a 15% chance to paralyze somebody when you attack them, or oh, you have like a 15% chance to poison somebody when you attack them, or if when somebody attacks you, you counter with a buff or counter with a debuff. Th- those things are really important, but I was just so annoyed with the fact that I had to do it every single time like I found a new weapon for 14 different characters that I, I eventually just got to a point where I was like, you know what, I don't care. Where When am I getting towards the end of the game? Okay, now I'll care. Yeah. I, I just never got to the point where I felt like I had to really care. So the game like tries to warn you, like, are you sure you want to take this crystal out? It's going to get worse. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Just, just take it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just I'm, get it away from me. <laughs> I'm selling this weapon anyway. It doesn't matter. So those, those two, like the job system seems a little bit half baked, uh, just because you don't get enough jobs just by playing the game. You, I feel like you really have to secret hunt or check a guide to find enough jobs for all your characters. So that felt a little bit like, you know, I'm going to, if I find a new job, of course I'll use it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to hunt every nook and cranny to find new statues, to find new jobs. Then that crystal system felt just a little bit extraneous, like not necessary. Like it was one part where I was like, they have complicated this too much, like more than they had to. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with you, man. There is, I'm not going to get into it too much, but there is a character that you find in the game who, when you activate them, they allow you to only find a specific kind of crystal when you are looking through crystals. So after I had activated that person, I told them specifically that I only want like buff and debuff crystals. Like I don't, I don't want to find anything that'll give me extra damage or make my weapon stronger. All I want to find are crystals that have things in it like the paralyze hit and the poison hit and like the the counter buffs and debuffs and then it made it a little bit more useful but it's so late in the game when you find this person that it's kind of like mm, I, I, I'm, I'm with you it just felt like i it didn't really really matter because i had already figured out how to win battles uh but uh, again uh w- w- with a sequel may- maybe like one of those systems that kind of gets like a like 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 an upgrade or something like that make, makes it yeah. seem like a little more important anyways without feeling like you're just in the menu all the time Right. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you are going to spend quite a bit of time in the menu working on your skills, working on, you know, upgrading new weapons and stuff like that. Um, last thing before we talk about, um, you know, music and stuff like that is if you like base building, um, especially if you played Suikoden and you like that, there is a base building part in this game. Um, like Suikoden, it's kind of optional to go find everybody there are way less people to recruit. It's not literally like a hundred people like it is in Suikoden 2, but it is kind of fun to, you can talk to a person in your base They you can pay them some money. They'll be like, Oh, this person needs help. If you go find that person, they'll come back to your base. And then now you have a blacksmith at your base. And now you have a merchant and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I didn't get nearly close to getting everybody, 
there were lots of places in the base that were very empty and looked cool. And I was like, I wonder who's coming here, but I never found them. But that is kind of cool. I did dig that the little amount of it that I did. Oh, dude, I, I, I used a guide. I built my base up so hard, dude. I, I love that. So it really reminded like, like it reminded me of Final Fantasy 10 where you like can just find random ass people to like get on your Blitzball team. I don't know if you've ever played this game, but another RPG I really like was uh, Dark Cloud 2. And on this game, you have a train and you can find people throughout the world that you can invite on your train and they do different stuff for you. So I upgraded my base entirely. I found every single recruit that was to be found in the world. World. And uh, like, dude, just being able to like, instead of like having to go into a town and run four screens to find a merchant, being able to just fast travel back to my base and have a blacksmith and have a, a, a merchant or being able to go talk to other characters in my party as the story is progressing. They always had different things to say. You could pet cats and dogs and they would show up on your island. And I, I loved <laughs> petting dogs in this game, dude. Uh, but I this was. It reminded me of that quest in uh, Breath of the Wild where you like kind of build your own town, uh, you know, over, over the course yeah. of time and recruit people to come do it. You know, I've never played Suikoden, but like, you know, it sounds like it's kind of the same thing. I, I love that sort of function in an RPG where like you're constantly feel like you're on the run. Everybody's coming for you. You never feel safe. Well, you know, I have Hermit's Isle. I, I, I have a place, you know, of, of respite where I can go and kick off my shoes and upgrade all of my shit and talk to everybody. And a lot of the recruits that you find uh, do actually do some really crazy stuff for you. Like there are these things, uh, they're like rusty weapons in the game that you can upgrade to, uh, you can upgrade into people's like ultimate weapons. And a lot of the characters that you recruit in the game, uh, after you've upgraded your base X amount of times, they give you the items necessary to turn those rusty, rusty weapons into ultimate weapons. So when I was thinking like, okay, I can't grind. So what can I grind? Well, I can figure out how to get the strongest items and or strongest weapons weapons and armor in the game how do i do that and a lot of that came down to the recruitment aspect of it i i love that in a game it, it just like it, it lets you to explore the world like you know a little bit deeper than you would have before and while they're not a this isn't an open world game by any means but being able to go back to old places with like your sky armor or you know the ability to be different bosses so you can find those i, I just love that I, that, that, that's a part of like any RPG that I'm always going to be on board with. As soon as they told me I could recruit stuff, I was like, all right, recruitment guide. Okay, here we go. I'll get that guy first and that guy, then that guy, then that guy, then that guy. I have, I don't feel bad at fucking all that I did that dude. Like I, I, no. I had to, I was not going to beat the game unless I had a fully upgraded base. Fair enough. Yeah. There's there. And there's a lot of times throughout the game when you, have a lot of like free time to go do side quests and stuff. There's a couple points in the story where they say like, you know, we're waiting on word for, you know, what, where we should strike next or whatever. So why don't we go take care of some loose ends? And that's like, Oh, it's side quest time. Let's go do some stuff and flying through the world on your airship, taking care of your base, flying through the individual levels on your sky armor made like navigating the levels and stuff, like not an issue at all. Um, the fact that you can use your sky armor to just go like, you may run into fights out in the world, but you're in your sky armor. So you'll be able to take care of them easily. All of those things made all of these like extra RPG systems, um, especially the base building, finding materials and stuff like that. Just a breeze, not really like a burden at all. And, and I won't harp on it. We can definitely move on, but it was 
extremely, extremely fulfilling to me to be able to play like a game again where I was flying in an airship over a world map and being able to like drop mm-hmm. at places. That is something I love about Final Fantasy VI, and it's something I love about Final Fantasy VII. And it's been such a long time since I was able to experience that. Like when I heard that, you know, there was the possibility of me getting an airship, I was like, dude, I'm I'm so excited. I love airships and <laughs> RPGs, and you can customize your airships and stuff too. It's really, really cool. So before we move on, I just got if, if you're a big fan of flying around a world map in an airship, this game is for you, dude. Chained Echoes is built to look like one of those old JRPGs in your head. Um, there are a lot more colors and a lot more pixels on screen than the Super Nintendo could do. Uh, maybe the PlayStation 1 could have made something that looks like this. I don't really know shit about uh, game development, if you can't tell. But it definitely looks like you remember you know, Chrono Trigger looking in your head or something like that. It's not. There's there's more power behind modern systems. And I think this is using that extra power, uh, you know, extra pixels, extra colors and stuff. But the result is, number one, you get that nostalgic look from it. And number two, Chained Echoes looks great on its own, even when not compared to those older games. 100 percent and what i will say is like the the style that it reminded me the most of was it was uh there there are two ps1 games that kind of got lost in the sands of all the other great games that came out but some super underrated rpgs star ocean the second story and lunar silver star story complete if any of those games like you know if you like stylistically you like those games uh this is the star ocean the second story is pretty much exactly what this game is but with the running around like lunar silver star story i wish i could delve into that better but if anybody (laughs) has played any of those games and knows what i'm talking about that's that's kind of the star ocean the second story more specifically is the vibe and like the uh yeah yeah it's it's kind of the vibe of the game both like in the music and the way the characters interact and the way it looks and the way the battle system kind of feels that would be star ocean the second story be like the closest thing but like yeah you're right the the it it is dead it's like what i said earlier like if the super nintendo could have done a little bit of what you know indie developer indie developers are capable of now it would have been something along the lines of chain echoes for sure yeah and the um the other thing i want to point out about the visuals is that the enemy designs are often really really interesting you're not just fighting like bog standard you know skeletons and bats and stuff like that all the enemy designs are kind of funny or cute or like later in the game some of the things you fight are like legitimately like very strange terrifying (laughs) yeah Yeah. um this game has a real sense of humor to it that i i found mostly through the enemies the dialogue too of course um and this is a i think a direct result of this being the product of one person and what this one person finds to be fun and interesting instead of a group of people, you know, algorithmically designing 
enemies to be like, yes, of course, we need the bats and we need the skeletons and we need the flans and all of those things. In this game, you have those types of enemies, but they have this like humorous touch to the designs and like the types of things they are like the the one I took screenshots of was uh, there are some gins that you fight genies that live inside wine bottles. And so you have your red wine gin and your white wine gin, and they have different elemental weaknesses. They have different attacks, all kind of centered around, you know, this one lives in red wine, this one lives in white wine. And those kind of personal touches uh, made uh, made it interesting to like come across all the enemies in the world. Because, you know, a lot of, especially turn-based RPGs, a lot of the enemies in the world, they, they're like, okay, in the opening zone, you're going to fight these wolves. And then two zones later, you're going to fight an upgraded version of those wolves. And then late in the game, you're going to fight the ultimate version of those wolves. Robot wolves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then in this game, they do that. But those upgraded versions and like the different versions of these enemies are all funny or cool to look at. It was really appreciated. Yeah, and it just goes back to like, you know, you can tell, and you said his name earlier, I don't remember it. Matthias Linda. Matthias Linda. Uh, you can tell that he, like, you can tell the love that he put into this game. Like, he 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 knows RPGs, and he knows what people like most about RPGs, and he knows, like, things people find, you know, dragging in RPGs, or, or that people, you know, get fed up with in RPGs. And just the little shit, like, you know, all the love he would put into each of the, I mean, just even looking at some of the the towns as you're running through them, the love, like, there's this one town where you just go in and there's like just these four platypi, like just running, like, like they're like, <laughs> it, like they're, they're like a, like, like marching, like they're in the army or something like just so, and you follow them and you get a treasure and blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's all those little tiny things that really do make this game what it is. I, Wish I could, you know, say say a little bit better. Dave kind of nailed it on the head. Just the love that's put into like the minute details is, you know, the fact that that's still those those gins. The fact I remember those gins. Those things are fucking annoying. I I wasn't ever going to think about them again. But like the fact that Dave can be like, okay, so this one specific enemy in this one specific part of the game, I can remember. It's because like the craft that was put into this game is 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 so like. It's it's it, 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 he just he he knows what RPG players want to play even down to the most minute detail and that's one of the reasons why this sticks out as much as it does. And another thing that M- Matthias Linda knows that RPG players value is music, and I think that the music Ooh. in Chained Echoes fucking slaps. It's great. It's ten out of ten soundtrack. Not even close. Ten, maybe maybe the best RPG soundtrack I've ever heard. Like straight up, some of that music is haunting. One of the people that you can recruit at your base is like a musician and you can like ask him to play different songs throughout the game as you're running through the base. So if you hit a song or something and you're like, man, I'll never hear that again because I'm never going back to the flower fields or whatever the fuck. Like you can just go to him and he'll play that on, you know, like as a background to you, you know, upgrading your weapons and stuff like that. Music. 10, 10 out of 10. He he knew that. Like we can even talk about like the audio that's not even the music, like the the sound of a sword slashing somebody or mm-hmm. or lens fire attack that noise. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like like the this is like the best audio aside from shit maybe Persona 5 that I've that I've come across in 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 a JRPG of this kind. 
the music slaps. I, I definitely have that YouTube, but like I have that playlist like saved the same way I did Persona because it, it's yeah. really, really good. It's really good. Aaron is the king of hyperbole uh, of saying that everything is the greatest he's ever heard. But the soundtrack is Hard really to impress good. me. <laughs> the I want to give a shout out to the composer because it's not Matthias Linda. He hired a composer and I'm I cannot visualize or sound this name out in my head. Do I'm it. very sorry. But <laughs> Do it. Eddie Marianu Crow. I, that's my guess. Very sorry, guess. Eddie, for fucking up your last name. But I will say, if you're listening to this, I know you're a fan of the show, but this soundtrack is so good. Uh, the battle themes are great. One of the things I think is is cool too is you have a lot of like songs that sound like traditional JRPG type songs. There's a lot of stuff that's like guitar based, and there's like one. There are a couple songs I'll just say in certain areas in the game that are shocking. Not the type of music that you would expect for comedic effect, but also genuinely like interesting songs. So. This soundtrack is really, really good. I've, there's been a bunch of music breaks in this episode. I hope everyone is is on board that I never got tired of this, especially like the theme in the Roland Fields, your first kind of big open area, the battle theme, the Sky Armor battle theme. There's this, when you're getting a new skill, you have to do a fight to like earn the new, or a new job, sorry. When you're getting a new job, there's a fight you have to do to like prove your worth. And there's like this wild electric guitar happening in the background of those battles. It's a really cool soundtrack. Yeah. And like the, the flower fields of perpetua or whatever it is, like you go in there and it's like, it's not even like instruments. It's, it's like people's voices. It's like choral music almost, which is something I've never, I've also never experienced. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, to a degree persona because they just play like regular ass songs, but like you go into this like flower fields of perpetua, it's like all, it, it looks like a giant snowfield or whatever. And the backgrounded music are like these women like singing. They're not saying words or anything. They're just using their voices as instruments. And I just remember like just running around being like, yo, what the fuck is this music? This is some of the wildest stuff I've ever heard in my life. But yeah, dude, you're right. The music in this game is perfect. Battle themes are perfect. Character themes are perfect. They even do like the thing that they do in like Final Fantasy VI where there's something goofy going on. So they play like the cuckoo noises and the toy piano. And, you know, he, he does a really good job of incorporating <laughs> that. Not only in like the game where you're actually playing, but like in, in the cutscenes and stuff too. The, the ones that are like emotionally driven. The music is emotionally driven. Or the battle systems where you're trying to get hyped up it hypes you up so i cannot say enough good things about the music in this game as as a big rpg guy even though mm -hmm. i'm the king of hyperbole this this might be like my could be maybe my favorite video game soundtrack it's really really good yeah it is and so like i'm trying to avoid hyperbole myself but not me playboy i, I know i know but uh it is an excellent soundtrack so a uh, good time to get into some kind of wrap up thoughts here and recommendations. If it is not perfectly clear already how Aaron and I both feel, um, Aaron, do you have any wrap up thoughts in summary? Who would you recommend Chained Echoes to? Uh, well, like I said, it, it's 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 a JRPG. At the end of the day, it's not for everybody. It is very accessible. I feel for 
somebody who has not, you know, gotten into the genre and it's not like you're playing the 15th, like, you know, episode in a long running series. So there's not things that you need to know going in. So as far as like recommendations, I would obviously recommend everybody play it, but I would also understand that like if, if somebody wasn't into this kind of game, because it is a JRPG, there are, you, there are parts where you kind of have to slug through it and stuff like that. But I'll tell you, it's exactly like the man who made Stardew Valley. Don't remember his name. You can just you can just tell that he loves this genre of game. And it is his love letter to the it's his love letter to the genre. And when somebody puts, you know, it's like it's like grandma always says, you know, the secret ingredient in my sugar cookies is love. And you're like, LOL. <laughs> OK, grandma, it's just extra sugar. But this is exactly <laughs> it. Like his love for this style of the game is, is the extra sugar. It's it's the love that's put into it. And I, I've always said, if, if you 100 percent believe in what you are doing, like other people will like it as well. You could tell he was like not only confident that people would like it, but smart enough to like come up with his own variations on these like pretty standard like rpg tropes like i've already said it but if, if you like jrpgs even kind of this will be one of the best ones you've ever played if you love jrpgs like dave and i do it'll hit you in the top five you've ever played all time i i have no hesitations thinking that so if, if, if this is in line with like you know kind of like what you are into you will love it there is no way you won't yeah i, I i'm on board i think if you like the games that inspired this, if you like Final Fantasy VI, if you like Chrono Trigger, Suikoden, uh, Xenogears, Secret of Mana, all these games that the, the developer has mentioned by name, you have to play this, like straight up. You, you have to play this. It is of a quality that you cannot ignore this. And on top of that, if you want to like those older games more than you actually do because of stuff that gets in the way, like some of those have pretty poor pacing or they have too many characters or they require too much grinding. This game fixes all of those things too, in my opinion, uh, makes them more accessible. You know, if you don't mind grinding, cool. Like you can, you can still grind in this game. Aaron found a way to do it. He will always find a way to grind even in games that don't require it. I like pain. (laughs) I love pain. (laughs) So you can, you can still do those things too. So like, I think I said it earlier, like this game is not automatically better because there's no grinding. Rookie, chill out, buddy. (laughs) This game isn't better because there's no grinding or better because of like any of those quality of life things we talked about. It's not better than Chrono Trigger because your characters heal at the end of every battle. Like, but the story and the battle system make it stand up with those greats in the genre. And I had almost no friction playing this game at all. It was a blast from start to finish. And so when I say that, like, I would recommend this to basically everybody, unless you really just don't like turn-based combat. Like, I think that even people who have big problems with JRPGs would still really like this game because it fixes a lot of the problems that, people have with jrpgs like big scope problems or like too many you know characters that only serve a a small purpose in the story and then you forget about them and stuff like that so this is a very easy recommendation one of the best jrpgs i've ever played i felt that way when i finished the game and then i had a couple weeks to sit and think about it and i still think that way i'm very happy with this game 
could not be happier. So little housekeeping before spoiler time, Aaron, uh, you and I mentioned it before. I didn't do a plug at the beginning for a top three podcast because I talk about it on every episode, but for people listening, Aaron is one of my co-hosts on that show. Uh, every episode we do a top three or a lately we've been doing draft episodes though. Who knows if we'll still be doing that if we'll kill each other before uh, this episode comes out, but yes, we're having, <laughs> yes, probably we'll kill Alan. That's yes. the most likely result. Um, but we have a lot of fun on that show. We would really enjoy if you um, joined us there. I would love it if people would consider joining our discord server and come in. There are uh, quite a few people in there who have played or are playing chained echoes at the time of recording. And I would love nothing more than to everyone come in and talk about the story because after the spoiler wall, we're going to get into some wild shit where the story goes. So that's a lot of fun. Um, other ways to support are leaving ratings and reviews, subscribing um, if you haven't already. And yeah, if you want to support monetarily, we have a Patreon page also. Uh, love everybody who does that. Love everybody who doesn't. We love everybody just the same. So Aaron and I are going to take a break. When we come back, it is spoiler time for Chained Echoes. Right, Aaron and I are back, and it's spoiler time for Chained Echoes. And there are a couple things that I wanted to kind of get into here in Chained Echoes. Not doing like a full walkthrough of the story because that would take too long, but there are kind of three main plot threads that I wanted to talk about. So the first one is the the quest to get the grimoire because this is really interesting to me how this becomes like your MacGuffin that you're chasing throughout the story. And it's, it's not like a typical thing because like, well, frankly speaking, Glenn fucks up another time and it like, it's super unexpected how this quest for the grimoire goes basically all the way through to the end of the story. Yeah. The, the, the thing about it. All right. So the, this grimoire, it's essentially the size of like a softball or something like that. And uh, when you blow it up, it, just explodes like a like an atomic bomb. Uh, but if you are within three meters of it, I believe it doesn't touch you at all. And that's kind of like what Glenn's trying to figure out. He's like, why did it spare me the whole story? And you eventually kind of figure right. out that. Yeah. But the, the other thing about it is, is like every time it kills something, it gets there. I, I believe they call it ether. In, yep. in, in the story, uh, mm -hmm. which is it, it essentially takes uh, life forces from things. Right. So every time it's used, depending on how many things it like kills, like it gets stronger. And that's kind of like a big driving force is like the the bad guys in this game and some of the good or, you know, people that are kind of on the fence and some of the characters that you meet every time it's blown up, however much, you know, death that it like brings into it, it gets stronger the next time. And mm -hmm. not only does Glenn make it stronger on accident, he 
does it a second time. He does it a second time. He does it again. But you know, the first time he doesn't know the second time he knows what's going on um, and tries his best and still fucking fails. So, yeah, like, so that's the coolest thing about uh, is about it is, is like the grimoire itself is constantly changing its value of importance. The more that it is used, the more powerful it becomes. And that kind of plays in line with like, you know, the end of the story with what you're trying to do. It it has to become this powerful thing. So it has to constantly uh, keep getting used. Yeah. So like you, we talked about the prologue, how Glenn fucks up on accident because he doesn't know that it's going to explode when he smashes it. So he does that. He lives with that guilt and he's like on this quest, he's determined to go get the grimoire again and prevent it from being used as a weapon because um, Len's brother, Frederick, has the grimoire. Uh, he's like the prince, I believe, of their kingdom of Tormund, and mm-hmm. he wants to use it as a weapon in this war. It's like this world has this never-ending war going on. And Killian and Glenn start to have these arguments as they get closer to like the act of trying to steal it about what they're going to do with it. Uh, Killian wants to use it to like, I don't know, like he wants to use it for his own power. He wants to become powerful so that he can then enact the right change in the world. And we've all heard stories like that. That's code for Killian's going to become a bad guy. At some yeah, point. I knew that almost <laughs> to me. I was like, oh, he's going to do something fucked up, but I'm not going to like him anymore. Yeah. So Killian does betray the party. Um, at, this is at the end of of Act One. This really reminded me of Suikoden Two, where you have these two um, almost like brothers who basically like one of they have the same goal, but one of them is basically Killian, betrays the party, joins the bad guys, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> this is so good. You have this um, this heist almost to like infiltrate and steal the grimoire as it's being taken out onto the battlefield. And it's this really tense thing. you got to get in sky armors. This is the first time you get your sky armors back. And you have a boss fight with the general who's holding the grimoire and you win and you steal it. And then Glenn gets distracted. I think he gets distracted by the doors opening in his mind. You remember if that's right or not? Yep. Yeah. And so He's holding the grimoire. He's up in the sky. He's in a a sky armor and he gets shot by these cannons and he just fucking drops it and it falls to the ground and causes another explosion. And we're never really shown like where he dropped it, but it's implied that he killed a bunch of people with this too. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And you know, I really like, I, I really like my main character's, having faults uh, i'm a really big fan of an anti-hero there's a lot of things about glenn that we can get into that prove that he has been nothing but an anti-hero until basically the last like 20 percent of the game like he's constantly fucking things up for everybody in 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 this life and and, and other lives if i can talk about that for like a quick second but yeah so you, you basically like at the end of act one you're you're getting to this point where you're like all right we're here we might as well try and steal this fucking thing and then he fucks up and kills a bunch of people uh, again and then makes it even stronger. And I don't remember if they get it 
back then or if somebody else takes it after no, someone else takes it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know so not only did he make it like way stronger and kill a bunch of innocent animals and people but the bad guys get it back too right well i think um i think that Gwen gets it who's a kind of a, yes. a character who you don't you don't really know his motivations throughout most of the story i believe that he picks it up i didn't write it down though it's not super important to right. me who picks it up um but he um yeah so this you had the big fuck up at the end of the prologue now at the end of act one this is glenn's redemption he's ready he's gonna go like right his wrongs and take this weapon out of the hands of the people who would use it to do harm and he fucks up again yeah yeah he misses two free throws (laughs) (laughs) this time and yeah it's like he's like kind of uh like you said missed two free throws this time it is his fault he just fucked up he he wasn't good enough and causes more pain and destruction around the world. And so this kind of sets up like one half of the guilt that Glenn is feeling and like the, the self doubt that he's feeling throughout the game. Um, and that kind of, um, we get into that when we start talking about the, the storyline with his backstory and his echoes and stuff. But, the thing that we learn at the end of Act One is that the grimoire is called uh, a weapon of the gods, and I believe it's at the end of Act One when these eyes start opening up in the sky. And I think, yeah, it is. These eyes start opening up in the sky, and this is that point where you're like, "Oh fuck! I didn't know that this was going to be a game with gods and angry eyes in the clouds and shit like that." Yeah. And, and, and like, not only that, like the, so what this thing was is there is, there is a big, big bad guy that you never see in the entire game called the Harbinger. Right. Right. And this is like, this is like the main antagonist to these group of people called the vein who are the gods that Dave is speaking of right now. And the vein kind of their, 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 their whole kind of purpose is to constantly like reset humanity because they just like, don't like humanity or whatever the fuck. So they are, they create weapons like these to one stave off the harbinger. Who's like this big, bad ultimate evil, but two to put it in the hands, uh, or, or, or maybe not, maybe it was like stolen from them. Um, but the, the, the whole kind of like precipice of like the vein and their relationship towards human beings is they, they're just kind of like, oh, well, human beings will, are, are like a scourge on this planet and they'll all eventually like kill themselves and stuff like that. So when, when you see these eyes coming up in the sky, the, these gods, they're, they're mad because they don't have this grimoire anymore. This was supposed to be kind of like the thing they created to give them a singular advantage over this harbinger this like big, big bad guy or whatever. And then it falls into the hands of the humans. And, and that's kind of how the story goes. It's, it's exactly what you would expect from a JRPG. Gods are always going to be involved and they're always going to be involved, you know, at, at the end of the game too. But yeah, that, that's kind of the coolest part is like at the end of act one, Glenn's brain basically just breaks like, right. And, and then on top of that, like you have like these, these, these veins, these, like, I wouldn't call them gods. They, I, I guess they're more so like, like demi demigods that like can, you know, sense when the grimoire is being used. So when they see Glenn use it twice, then they're like, okay, so who's this motherfucker? That's like awaking me from sleep. You know, it's really cool. It's, I think it's the end of act two when Glenn's uh, brain right. breaks open. Cause he starts to realize like who his echo was. But yeah, um, these, the, the van are out there, 
um, kind of watching. And you're right, they they reveal later that what they're actually doing is in order to stave off the Harbinger, they are killing all the humans every couple centuries or something like that. Um, and the reason they're doing this is not actually because they think humans are beneath them. They do think that, but that's not the reason why. Um, the reason why is because we talked about that ether earlier that powers the grimoire. It's like the life force. And there is this kind of like sea of spirits called the maelstrom in the game. And the, the maelstrom is holding the harbinger back. But every time a new person is born, they get a spirit from there and one less spirit in there makes it weaker. So like the restraints holding the harbinger back get weaker as the population grows. So that turns out to be the actual reason why they're killing people and like setting up this cycle. And I thought that was super cool. And it sets up a really tough like dilemma at the end of the game, but we'll get there. So the grimoire changes hands a bunch of times throughout the game, including there's a part later where you are just given the grimoire by Gwen, who we talked about. There's a part at the end of Act 2 when you're again going to get the grimoire and you you basically win, but then someone comes in real late. It's like a, a high-ranking soldier or something like that comes in and kills Len. And uh, Glenn gets this kind of like vision of the Van being freed. You learn that Len was like housing them, like her body is is protecting these uh, demigods, basically. They sacrifice themselves to bring her back to life and give Glenn like that couple seconds to like deflect that blow that would have killed her. So I was kind of like wondering are they still alive or like just those three or something sacrifice themselves and there's more left. And that's what you end up going up against at the end of the game. I wasn't super clear on that. Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, they only show you three, but they refer to themselves as the vein. And so do everybody else. So I just assume there's way more of them. I mean, there, there's like a, there's like a doorway in Glenn's mind that he eventually has to learn to open that eventually lets you, yeah, I don't. You don't go in there, but they come out. So I, you have to assume they're way more, and that these three vein that you are talking to throughout the game that are really, really mad that you're like fucking with their shit. Uh, <laughs> you, I, I just assume like they're like the like the tribunal, like you know, uh, you know, they're they're the uh, oligarchy that runs, you know, this whole thing. So yeah. So and by the way, that that scene where like everything goes bad and Len gets killed. I was just like, great. There's the, there's the, there's the heiress trope right there. Like, right. Uh -huh. Of course they're going to kill my favorite female character, you know, about halfway through the game. And then just the fact that they like stop reset and give Glenn that like half second. Oh dude, that was so cool to me, dude. I, th those, cool. those are one of those like, Oh fuck moments that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. And so you, end up like yada 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 you end up with the grimoire and you basically you possess it for the last like the last couple acts of the game you don't use it until like the very end but you have it so the the plot with the grimoire is like really heavy in the first part of the game and then the second half of the game is really dealing with these other two storylines uh, the first one is dealing with glenn and len's backstories 
And there is a like a concept called echoes. So when people die, I guess their spirit returns to the maelstrom. And if their spirit was, you know, strong-willed enough or something like that, it can be um, experienced by the new person who is born with that spirit. It's like, kind of like, instead of getting a blank slate, you get a slate that's not blank. You, it has, it has writing on it. Um, and Glenn and Len start to get like flashbacks or like feelings or memories that give them this like understanding that their past lives were important somehow. And this, um, this is one of like the main mysteries throughout like the middle portion of the game of like, who were they and what's their importance to this bigger plot with the vein that's uh, growing? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the whole like uh, theory of like reincarnation, right. Is, is kind of like how I, I took the whole thing. All right. So this person dies and their spirit goes up there and who knows when in history it will come back, but that spirit will eventually be pulled from the maelstrom and then boom, you're the exact same person, whether or not you know it, you know, right away or not. Uh, but Glenn, the, and, and this is why I like Glenn so much. And it goes back to the anti-hero thing. Like Glenn's main like life was this uh guy who was basically trying to save the world blah 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 and he tells people hey i'm gonna die i'm gonna come back and you gotta find me that's gonna happen like five or six times before i'm ready to actually do it but some of glenn's past lives he's like the biggest piece of shit like right like he uh if i'm not mistaken like his one of the character one of the people that he is in his past life kills one of the people that len is in her past life and yeah. he's like in, in he's like convinced himself like dude like no matter what i do no matter what life i'm in i'm constantly just fucking shit up for people and i i believe they're the only two characters that they delve into in the in, in the game as far as their like past lives and shit go but it, yeah. it, it, it it doesn't like you know play into the main game or anything like that like you don't get any extra you know powers or skills or whatever the fuck it, it, it's definitely like way more story based but it's just another layer to glenn's and len's characters that make them such good protagonists is they're constantly like having to learn about the people that they were in order to further the people that they are now and I, yeah. I, I'm really attracted to that sort of thing. I, I I love that Glenn is literally like nobody likes him and he constantly fucks up. But he, he has that like, you know, that that moment in a musical where the guy decides to stand against the bad guy and, and do his thing. So I that one of the reasons that I I, I I like Glenn and I like Glenn as as like protagonist in this story is because not only do you have them at like surface level, like what you can see and what you experience, but you're constantly learning about their past lives at the same pace that they are learning about their past lives, which I, I think is really cool. Yeah. And they do a little bait and switch with Glenn's echo too, because you're you you get Len's echo and her echo was also named Len. So it's very obvious who her echo was. It's this person um, at this monastery. It's actually a monastery full of people that like worship and work for the Ven, making sure that they succeed. And so there, there's this scene that begins to unfold where Len has this boyfriend at the monastery and she also has this other person that she's actually, uh, sorry, not phrased well. She is betrothed to marry somebody who's a real piece of shit. And she has a person that she actually loves. And we're led to believe that that's Glenn. 
Um, and Glenn even believes it too. And there's a, a part in the game where Len knows the truth, but Glenn doesn't. He thinks that he was like her long lost love. And there's a scene they show where the piece of shit, like uh fiance or whatever comes in, tries to kill the person that Len loves. And Len like jumps in front and he ends up like mortally wounding her as well. So they do this spell to send her spirit into the maelstrom to be reborn because she's important. She can't die. And then we think we see a scene where they're like, okay, we're going to send her lover's spirit through the maelstrom too. So they can meet up again someday. And we think, oh, it's Glenn. They're going to have this wonderful reunion. Hooray. Yeah. And then Glenn is like, I'm your long lost uh, Timothy. I think his name is. And she's like, she freaks out because she knows it's not actually him. Actually, Glenn's past life was the guy who stabbed Len and almost killed her, that piece of shit. So when he finds out about that, he's like, man, my original life was a real piece of shit. I fucked up in this current life. What am I doing? And the thing that brings it all together is you do learn about the lives in between that Glenn had, because he had, like you said, like four or five other lives. And he was a really good person in those other lives. So that's part of like the redemption arc and like the coming to coming to terms with like your past lives don't define you like what you're going to do right here in this second like you said that that <laughs> musical moment like you said uh glenn is like you know i may have been the worst piece of shit in my previous life my other previous lives were not like that though and now i have a choice and so it's it's all part of this building up to like when Glenn gets the courage to use the grimoire later and become a leader for the group. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it goes right back to what you're saying about the story. It's, it's just so well crafted. And even though it's constantly throwing you for loops and constantly surprising you with things like that, like at its core, it's this, it's this really adorable little story. That's <clears throat> what Dave said. It's all about like, you know, reconciling with like the person you may have been and like, you know, trying to use that lesson to further the person you want to become. And it's extremely relatable. So I, that I, I really like that about the game. Yeah. And we also find out that some of our other characters that were a little bit mysterious, like Victor, who he's of this other race that like lives for a long, long time. he, can't and won't tell people like why he knows the things he knows throughout most of the game. And it's like characters get frustrated with him. Like Glenn especially is like, you know something about my past. Why won't you tell me? And he is basically like, I can't tell you because when people start to have these echoes awaken, um, if they open it up too quickly, they will, their brains will break and that's what happens to Glenn after he learns too much too quickly. And there's a part in the game where you have to go inside of Glenn's brain and kind of like fix what the, the boss is called a chained echo in there and kind of fix it all and make it so that he can process all of these things. But it turns out that Victor has lived for a long, long time. Uh, one of his teachers when he was a student was Glenn, one of Glenn's past lives. And so Victor has these uh, these two pendants, these life pendants that every time Glenn dies and is reborn, he follows and he makes a connection. That's why Victor wanted to follow us in this game. And then Len has not been reborn this whole time. 
So Victor has been on this quest of like finding Glenn, keeping tabs or forming a relationship, whatever it takes until Lynn is reborn too, because she's the one who's actually really, really important to this, uh, what they think they should do with the Ven. Of course, we're going to go against that later. But like the way that this story unfolded with Glenn and Len's backstory, but also bringing in Victor and Bathra's, their backstories was like this really neat, like tying up of a storyline was super satisfying and very cool too. Yeah. And I was kind of always thinking like, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long, what, whatever Victor is, like how long they actually live. But <clears throat> if he's lived through like five or six of Glenn's past lives, you have to assume this guy's like a thousand years old at this point, right? And how like yeah. extremely frustrating it has to be to have to be able to make sure to find the exact point in history to where he can get both Len and Glenn together at the same time to finally bring the end of this. Victor's like my underrated character of, uh, of the game. You know, I, I, I loved him in the battle or I loved using him in battle. And I, I, I think I liked his story the most out of all. And you know, and it's, it's frustrating as a gamer too. And you're like, you want to know more. And, and uh, Victor's just like, well, if I tell you anymore, you'll go insane and die. Uh, okay, I guess I'll wait. I, I, I guess I'll just like wait then. But from Victor's perspective, you know, Dave mentioned he has an he has like these this amulet and it has like a red stone and a blue stone. And when the blue stone glows, that's how we know Glenn. Ha- that's how he knows that Glenn has been reborn. And when the red stone glows, that's how he knows that Len has been reborn. And he's finally gotten that point after x of hundreds of years uh where they're both glowing at the same time and that's what makes his thing so important is like this is what victor's been waiting for this entire time they they do a lot of stuff where they talk about like well this is important at this point in time and this is important at this point in time and everything leads to everything and this moment where both glenn and len are alive at the same time is our maybe only chance for a millennium to actually do what we're trying to do here. And it's very cool. Yeah. And so I, I like, like I said at the beginning, this game raises the scope of what you're doing because you start out thinking like we're, we're on like a human only scale, basically, where this is a war between a couple of nations. There's a weapon of mass destruction. That's the scale we're working with. And then the scale slowly starts to build until not only does the present storyline expand out into a scope involving gods in a satisfying way, but the backstories also tie into that and it becomes this whole complete product that is so it's pulled off so well for one person to write this and come up with all of it is, is ridiculous to me. And it only gets better as we go on into the last kind of big storyline here, which is the choice that our group makes. So at the end, 
we have a choice to make. We've been dealing with this uh, entity called the church. Uh, also, very funny, just for a second, uh, Kelian infiltrates the church by, like, having sex with one of the bishops or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he does. he's definitely fucking he is, that guy. Yeah, he, he did is, not uh, have a shirt on. <laughs> he No, they, I mean, it, it's very clearly implied that he that's how he infiltrated the church, which is very funny to me. Um, so good on you, Kelian. And so we're dealing with this church and we come up against these two motivations here. So the church is trying to um, build up the power of the grimoire. I think they're, or at least that's one of their motivations here is they're creating these monsters and you get a nice little like section where they do like a commentary on religion and, you know, fear and, trying to drive people to religion through like, you know, making them afraid of things. We, we have a little bit of that and it turns out the church is not quite trying to do that. Now what they're actually doing is way worse, but um, we have a storyline where the church is creating these monsters and they're creating these giant flesh monsters to drain the ether from the maelstrom and weaken it and bring about the harbinger. So, we have a choice at the end of the game. We can kind of take matters into our own hands, kill the Ven, and let the Harbinger come because the Ven are the ones that are holding the Harbinger back. Or keep in mind that the Ven are like, the reason we're doing that, sorry, I'm getting all mixed up. Um, the reason we would do that is because like we said earlier, the Ven are perp they're perpetrating the cycle of destruction. They keep killing all people every couple of centuries uh, to keep the Harbinger at bay. So we have a really tough choice here. Do we kill the Ven and stop this cycle of destruction or um, and let the Harbinger in? Or do we let the Ven continue and stop the church, but humanity is going to be wiped out, including all of our characters? So... Did you, Aaron, did you think you were going to have a choice during this section here? I still feel like no matter what decision I made, the story was on a one track path at that point. So I really didn't figure that it would matter no matter, you know, what decision that I made. But those, the vein were very, very, very rude. So I was always <laughs> on like, and then they yelled at you and called you names and they were scary and they popped up and they acted like they were hot shit. I'm telling you, man, like, oh, I'll beat the harbinger too. I'll kill the vein. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's kill them. Right. <laughs> I don't like them at all. Well, you don't actually get a choice, but like, I right. thought, I thought you would get a choice at some point. It's not like, again, this is a game made by one person. It's not super surprising to me that there isn't a choice. Um, I also thought for a second because Len is the one who's housing the Ven. So I thought that in order to kill them, we would have to kill her. Kill her. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which would have been gutting. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking, dude. So what actually happens is that the party decides that we're going to take care of the immediate threat. We're going to kill the Ven and it's going to release the Harbinger. And then later we will try to find a weapon that can stop the Harbinger. So we're in like the final part of the game here, the final boss. Um, first you fight Killian because you go to um, take on the Ven. Killian shows up and he kind of steals the power 
that was meant for Glenn. Uh, that other character, Gwen, um, is kind of transferring his power to Glenn. He's going to be the next person who can kind of be timeless with all these magical powers. Kelian steals it, and we have a two-phase boss fight against Kelian. One of them is in the sky armor, one of them is on foot. And the one in the sky armor was the one that I died on and had to reset and like really think about what I was doing. And and this go, dude, and I don't know, how how far did you like did you really like delve into like the sky armor customizations, like what each weapon did and like mastering those different things and making sure that everybody in your party had like a specific role when it came to the sky armor thing? No. Or were you just yeah, no. see, so yeah, so that that's why you died. Like I'm not I'm not shitting. I did that for like I didn't even get that like different weapons gave you different skills and and I was just kind of, you know, like playing it by ear. But once I realized that like okay, so what you really have to do is everybody has to have a different kind of frame for their sky armor. Everybody has to have a different weapon, everybody has to have a different long range weapon, everybody has to have a different like uh I guess it would be like an accessory. I guess to to your sky armor and if everybody had a different role it made the sky armor fights way 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 easier like you had to have somebody that could do like poison and blind and enact and you had to have a healer and you had to have an elementalist and you had to have somebody that was like just straight up brute strength and if you had all if every single person that you uh used your sky armor with had a different set of skills it made the battles much 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 easier because you always had an option you know what i mean so like that last boss fight you know it, i you know it, it it was tough but like I'm, I'm telling you this right now i just had sienna in my sky armor and she would just poison blind enact and then i would just have you know bathras like hit their elementals i would have victor constantly healing and glenn was my ninja you know what i mean so like if you kind of spaced it out like that it's fine but it's it, like Dave said, you don't need to to win, but if you customize your sky armors and you pay attention to like their weapons and their accessories and their long ranges and their frames, you can build your you, you can still build your team differently enough to where like even if you're presented with a challenge, you always have like an out, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, like I upgraded the sky armors. I whenever I got the opportunity to find new parts or something like that, I always did that. I always made sure they had the best equipment that I could find or buy. I just didn't really fuck with like mastering other weapons for other characters and stuff like that. And like, so I said I died. I died once. I beat it on the next try. It's not like this was like a meat wall that I couldn't get through or something. So I'm just kind of like, the sky armor combat's tricky. You really have to be more on top of things in that. And so it just took me a try to get it. Um, but this was like the final test for sky armor combat because it's the last sky armor fight, um, fighting against Kilian. And then you fight Kilian on foot. And I did fine against him there. Then <laughs> the Van show up and they merge with Kilian. And it's a really cool fight with like these scripted events where you'll be fighting them. The fight's very difficult. Like every single move I did had to be thoroughly planned out. I would sit for like a minute and think about what my next move would be. Switching characters out or uh, using the ultimate attack now, or do I use a potion here or do I defend? Stuff like that. All managing overdrive, basically. But this fight's really cool because the Ven have these big scripted attacks where they're like, we're going to kill everyone in one hit. And then Kelian's like, no, you're not. I'm bringing them back. 
that shocked me. I was literally like, ah, oh, they, I was like, I was cruising through that battle, dude. I was fucking this thing up. And then he used one attack and everybody died. I'm like, God damn it. What did I do wrong? And then it's just like, oh, it's cool. I'm a good guy now. And he brings everybody back to life. And I'm like, all right, Killian, you're fine. You're yeah. fine. And, and like, there's another one where the van like split up into like seven other enemies. And I was like, oh, I can't handle this. And Keelian was like, no, you don't. And he fucking just kills all kills of them. All so of like, them. <laughs> dude, because I had trouble killing one of those things. Yeah. And then now there's seven of them. I was like, dude, this is way harder than I, I, I am way over my head right here. But I, I do like the scripted Killian helping you thing because they, they do put you in a situation where you're in the battle where you're in that final battle where you're like, oh, I'm fucked. I have no way out of this. And the only way they can redeem Killian's character is by making him help you in that final battle, which I thought was really cool. It was really cool. Um, so like Killian is like the whole time Killian has had good intentions, but going about it in the wrong way. And so now he's finally like seeing the error in his ways. He's going to help you do what you need to do. So at the end, Killian's helping you out. The boss fight is still really, really hard. And like I said, it, it took a long time. Every single move I did, I had to plan and think through everything. It has multiple phases. I beat it on my first try, but I always felt like if I don't nail the next turn, I'm going to lose. So I have to do everything right. And I did do everything right. And it was really, really satisfying. I think it's a great final boss. Yeah. And it's the, it's the RPG rule, man. Like if you think it's over, you've got two more phases. <laughs> that's what it, that's what you're just like. Yes, that sucked. But yes. Oh, now we're gonna, uh, all the strongest people in the game are going to fuse with the strongest boss you've ever fought. Now you got to fight us in three phases. And I'm just like, God damn it. Let's go. Cause I loved it. Yeah. So, um, do you know who your final team was in this oh, last yeah. fight? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. I'll tell you this. Like, so I always, th this was my four. It was always, uh, Sienna in, in this order. I also ran around with Sienna. I made her my party leader cause she was my favorite character. So like when I'm running around the map, I'm running around as Sienna with everybody following. So I had Sienna, uh, Glenn, Victor and Len, pretty much the same character that I started the game with. Uh, but Two super underrated fucking characters, Amalia, who was just so clutch in all mm -hmm. of the hardest fights that I had in the game. Great character, 14-year-old girl with a dog, super fucking cool. And then Mika, the martial arts chick that you meet, like she is... She like if you learn her skills properly, she's all about like setting up combos and like finishing moves and stuff. Bro, she she puts out damage damage. So I also had, I think Rob and, uh, Magnolia, uh, there just as kind of like a just in case thing. And Rob actually did help me out in the final battle, uh, fairly well, but I'm telling you, it was, it was Glenn, Len, Sienna, Victor, Amalia, and Mika who were like, that was my, those are my people right there. Mm -hmm. I see. I never got Mika. So my final eight, uh, my, t my first four, although like in the last battle, I was constantly switching. Yes. Which is very, very cool. I'm glad they, they like almost force you to use your full party. Like it, it yeah. makes it feel like I'm not wasting my time going around and finding these people, but yeah, 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 keep going. Sorry. Another quality of life thing, how like you can switch, you don't lose your turn when you switch and it puts the overdrive cursor to the left. So that's really helpful. Um, so my last party was Victor 
Glenn, Len, and Bathraz were like the were like the damage party. Uh, I guess Sienna too, depending on if I needed physical damage or if I wanted magic damage. Um, but the backups were all super helpful in their own ways. So Egil, the bird, was crucial in the final fight to <laughs> hated that guy so much dude, dude. for most of the game for most so of the game weird. not useful but in the final boss i needed someone to soak damage for a couple turns every Fair. now and then and he did um same with Raphael, who's another optional character uh he's another he uses magic and stuff but he was mostly a tank for me and then amalia and sienna so like rob sat on the bench for the last boss he's just status effects were useful but not that useful and I was just constantly switching. Most of the battle, I had two healers out at the same time because I just couldn't keep up without it. So Amalia and Victor were both super clutch. Yeah, I'm, I was just so satisfied with this final battle. I had to use everything I knew about the combat system to beat it. Yeah, it was perfect. It, it, it was like the perfect like accumulation of like all of the bad stuff the game throws at you they throw at you it's not like you're like okay i got to the final boss he's got two or three moves i've never seen before but mainly i'm just like crushing away at hp and healing myself until i can figure it out now in in this battle like he's debuffing you they're constantly throwing wild cards at you they morph they get 10 times stronger so you're like okay so now i gotta bring out i got i gotta bring out mika right here sienna's low on you know what what whatever her, her bleed's not working anymore because she's used it too many times i need to have like a little change because the fight is forcing you like you said to to adapt to it which is mm -hmm. You know, I, I guess standard is the right is the right word, but like I've never seen it like, you know, presented to me like this, like most final boss fights. Again, I've been grinding all game. I'm level 99. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill this thing no matter what. This is like one of the very few boss battles where I was like, OK, I really need to be smart about this and I really need to utilize like my characters to their fullest extent yeah. to win. Yep. hundred percent. And not only that. There were a lot of turns where I had to like very carefully think about what to do, like not just like what skill to use or whether to switch character. It's literally like I need to defend. I, defending is not the the sexy thing to do, but I have to. It is the is the correct thing to do is to defend. Yep. Or mm -hmm. uh, Glenn has that skill to to take the overdrive meter down, called like restrain oh, or something. Yeah. Great, use that super constantly push. through the final boss like glenn was just restraining and healing people that's all he wasn't even doing damage and then that is like, so wild that because because i didn't use Raphael or eagle because like glenn was my tank that's such a crazy way to use him dude that's wild yeah so it's um it's just yeah i have nothing but good things to say about like the strategy of the final boss but like it looks super fucking metal too the stuff with Kilian is great and so when you kill the final boss, we go on to the ending. Um, so you've killed the Ven. You know that you have freed the Harbinger. So it's a victory of sorts, but you know that the Harbinger is coming now. And this is the perfect sequel hook. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. Like, and, and I, I actually... You know, it, it was a it was a very like simple ending to the game, but I, I, I really felt like it wrapped up like a... 
like Glenn's character like really, really well. Um, but you, but it's like I said earlier, dude, it lends itself to the sequel. It's like this brief moment of peace, but everybody in the end, you know, whether or not they're enjoying themselves or having, you know, their last conversations. I mean, like, so one of the things about Amalia is Amalia and Bethraz, they were both, they, they're both cursed, right? And like, if you get, you, you get something cool if you're cursed, but something bad has to happen to you. You have to sacrifice something. Bethraz sacrificed his limbs to gain the power to kill the people who killed his son. Amalia was like a 12-year-old girl. She gets this curse, and what she had to give up in exchange was her life. So Amalia eventually comes out and says, like, hey, dude, I got like two years to live. Like, that's what it is. And the end of yeah. the story wraps up with her and Bethraz having this conversation. They're kind of like BFFs throughout the game, where Bethraz is like, no, 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 I'm going to go fi- I'm going to go figure this out. So, like, that's open-ended. Then you have the harbinger. Yeah. That's open-ended. Then you also have, like, gl- you know, it can- can I talk about what happens to Glenn at the end? Or do you think I should yeah. like that? No. Yeah. I mean, we're in the spoiler section, so yeah, I mean like, yeah, but I don't, Glenn, Glenn dies basically, but he, uh, he, he always talks about how like he wishes he was a bird or whatever. And you are led mm-hmm. to believe that he's like reincarnated as this bird, uh, at, at the very end. So like you have a lot of open end stories like, okay, so like Glenn is dead, but is he really, does he have another past life that's going to come to fruition in the second game? Are Bethraz and Amalia going to figure out how to stop this curse? What's going on with the Harbinger? So it's, it, it, it's like that episode of a uh, game of Thrones in the last season where like, they know the white walkers are coming and they're kind of all just like chilling and having fun and enjoying each other's company while they can, while still knowing something terrible, much more terrible than they've ever had to think about before is looming on the horizon so it's a very bittersweet ending like you're really happy because one you know there's probably going to be a sequel because it's totally leading you to believe that but like two like you know it it also does a really good job of being like no 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 no, no. we're going to keep you engaged until the next game comes out these are big story points that we did not wrap up but alluded to them in the ending so you know that hopefully if another game gets made we can wrap those up too, which is very fucking cool. Yeah. And the other storyline is that Len is going to continue looking for like a new weapon that can kill the harbinger. We, I didn't say earlier, but like the grimoire is useless now because Glenn used it in an empty place to kill a giant monster that apparently doesn't have a soul or something like that. So the grimoire is done. The, the way to destroy the grimoire that they talked about was to use it, in an empty place that doesn't have anything to kill. So you do use it in like the middle of the ocean to kill this like thing that the Ven summon. We get the impression that you can't use the grimoire anymore. So now Len is on the search for a new weapon that will help us kill the harbinger. And that's part of the hook for the sequel too. But like you said, like Bethraz and Amalia are going to try to find a way to reverse this like curse that's been put on them. And yeah, Killian is out adventuring. Glenn is a bird. We we're not sure what's going to go on there, but I think it's like a really Glenn neat, is a bird. Yeah, <laughs> as you are. It's a really neat like wrap up on the main story of this game, while also introducing a very clear direction to take a sequel. And I really hope we get a sequel for this game. Oh, dude, it, there, dude. If there's not a sequel, I'm going to be like legitimately fucking pissed off because it, it's it. <laughs> I had to live through Game of Thrones, dude. I had to live through the last three episodes of Star Wars. You cannot just leave me on this, too. You know, like it, it has to be done someday. Well, the last season of Game in, of Game of Thrones and the last three Star Wars movies are a good 
example where maybe we shouldn't have gotten a sequel, but uh, the story in this game was so good, so well thought out. The characters were so likable that I have a really hard time thinking that like a sequel would just totally lose the plot and end up sucking. Um, I have the utmost faith in this one German man who created this game. <laughs> me too, man. Me, me too. And, and you got to think like, you know, with the, as much love and shit as he did actually put into this game. Like, you know, you, you have to think like, it's not a coincidence that he left everything open and the plan has to be more. It has to be. Yep. And speaking of more time to wrap this up, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on and talking chain decos. Oh yeah, dude. Can't wait to uh, talk about bank heists tomorrow night, man. I always love being on this <laughs> show, dude. Always have a lot of fun. Uh, st- I still have not been on an episode for a game that I hate yet. So like, you know, keep me posted so I can come play devil's advocate. Although I know that's not really your, uh, that's not really your style, but I would like to come on here and make you mad every once in a while. Oh, well we can, we can find a game that you hate and we'll just come like rip it apart. Uh, like, like, like two old friends would. Yep. So thanks again, dude. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate you. If you want to come talk about chain echoes in the discord server, that would be very cool of you. We would love to have you. And again, thank you so much. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.